Welcome to episode 539 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Radio team, welcome along to episode 359 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Oz. How you going, mate? I'm very good, Bevan. Yeah. John's got a John's got a crappy computer, guys, and it's a little bit painful sitting next to him today. Yeah, we're a little bit, bit a little bit slow off the mark. Harold, Harold, is that computer? I don't know. Don't know. I got it second hand. You got it second hand. You bought a well, second hand laptop. It was for the kids. It was just a reconditioned one from my computer guy. Oh, okay. And how long have you had the kids had it for? A few years. So, because a laptop. They none of them were as good as was that's probably a five year old computer. Yeah, plus uh, plus the rest. Oh, painful! I think that's punishment to your kids. Oh, and you're a computer snob. <laughs> I can't deny it. I took is proudly brought to you by Athlinks.com. So it's your networking for endurance athletes. Extreme endurance. Your lactic buffer. And our patrons. Let's name a few of them: John, Bruce, Tomahawk, Tomlinson. We got Pete, Peter, Thorfice, and he was he came on the. Uh, I'm Talk Cam. Yeah, I did too. And Matthew Kenny Van Nuss or Noose. We've got Jonathan the Lumberjack Woodman. And Kevin the Assassin Hunt. Nice work, guys. If you want to come picture on the show, you go dub dub dub. I'm Talk Top Me, and it's all pretty obvious on the website. Okay, John, in this week's show, we've got some news. We've got an age group of the week. Statistic. It took me down a very interesting little alleyway when I did my stats test this was week. A good one, I like, I like your research. Yeah, uh, we've got an interview with a very interesting character. Yes, we have. So his name's John McAvoy, and you, a lot of you English guys might have heard about him because I think he's been hitting the uh, the breakfast shows and the newspapers over there. But this dude was a hardened criminal, and now he's uh, turned his life around and has a book out, uh, sort of telling his life story, and he's now a very good Iron Man. Yes, indeedy. Uh, and then uh, a few questions and answers at the end. So let's get into it, John. Not a lot of news this week. How's the weather today, Bevan? Well, I have to say, look at the snow's almost gone off the mountains. It is. Yeah, because last week it was back on, but no, it's gone. Summer is here, John. It's a big day in Christchurch, New Zealand, because today is our... You, you probably noticed we haven't really got much news this week, but it's cup day today. We're, we're leading horse, straight with the horse races. Horse racing today. My tip? It, 3 and 12 is my tip. Always go 3 and 12. Yeah, I don't like your strategy. My tip is race 6, horse 8. Race six, horse eight. Race six, horse eight. Is Come. that just a is that a is that a strategy? It's an epiphany, John. Right. Epiphany. Oh, oh, and we must say because when we when rugby gets talked a little about a little bit on the show, the Irish beat the All Blacks for the first time ever in the history of rugby on the weekend, and it's been really interesting in New Zealand, isn't it? Because it seems like we're more happy for them. Yeah. But normally, if the All Blacks lose and you die, I mean, sorry, lose in New Zealand, it's like the knives come out. Mm. The expectations on the All Black is ridiculous but it was interesting years ago I got to meet Graham Henry and he said he thinks the All Blacks will be the best team forever because of that expectation mm. like if the All Blacks lose man it is the end of the world in New Zealand this week not even the news they had this piece for the Irish they had all this music for that like no, nobody cares nobody no, I wouldn't say nobody cares, but nobody's very upset about it. Well done to the Irish. Yeah, good on the Irish. If this was England beating us, oh, they'd be <laughs> this is the show would be starting off in a slightly different vein. So well done to the Irish, and it was a deserving win, and it was pretty cool. Okay, John, uh, results from the week. 
We only had uh, Ironman Florida at the weekend and no pro racing there any longer. It's just an age group only race. Pretty tough conditions they had. It was a choppy swim and windy on the bike. So we only saw three guys go under the, the nine hour mark and often we see a lot more there. So taking it out was Jack McAfee. Pretty close racing. Yeah, swam 54, rode 448 and ran 257. So he ran down Tim Holler for the win by about sort of 40 odd seconds he went 8.48.15 Tim Holler went 8.48.57 and our third sub 9 dude was Eduardo Della Magoria from Chile I think it would be in 8.58 when you're winning the race pretty much all day long mm. you're winning the race and you get beaten in the last minute it's tough few minutes oh, that's gonna suck so that was on the guys side of things and on the girls side of things we had hold on a second we had uh lure no mary i think it's mary claire closed looks from belgium in 947 she swam 113 uh, rode 514 and ran 312 Goodness, it's a dominating run when you look at these other run times second place erin humsey she swam 102, rode 505, ran 342. So she lost half an hour wow. on the run to the winner. Uh, went 9.58 in third place, Rachel Hall from Team GBR in 10.02.17. It's good work, all you people racing in Ironman Florida. Okay. It is one of the races that is still, uh, it does still sell out, I believe. Even as an age group race. Not as, not as quick as it used to, but I believe it does still sell out. That's good to hear. It is. Yeah. Okay, we also have, um, coming up this weekend, we've got Lankawi happening. I'm in Lankawi. It's a 40k race. Uh, much of a field there, John? It's not too bad. Uh, Frederick Cronenberg is seeded number one. Harry Wiltshire and Tyler Butterfield are your top three. So on paper, you'd probably think Tyler Butterfield's a raging hot favourite there. Mm. But this race is just a pressure cooker test. It is insanely hot and just really tough conditions. I know I was looking at the... Age group results are going to go racing there this weekend, and in the forty to forty-four, I was like, mate, you just got to survive, and you're gonna, you know, you take it out. It's um, it's just a very, very tough day at the office on the run. So it's like the ultimate conservative race. Yeah, you know, like we always say, and I mean, be conservative, but in this race, it's almost like be extra conservative and and trust that those last ten, fifteen k's. You can make a lot of space. You just got to stay cool. If you can, you know, if you can run remotely close to three hours, whoever, if anybody gets remotely close to three hours, they'll cane everybody in this race. Even if you can, for the guys, if they can run under three fifteen, that's still a good split here. So, um, yeah, so it should be interesting to see who survives. You know, for 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 a small race, uh, they've got thirty two pro men, which is mm. impressive. Back in the day, you know, things are expanding. Back in the day, you'd only get. 10 at this, this sort of yep, race true. Yep. Uh, on the girls side of things um, you've got Diana Reisler seeded number 1 and you've got uh, Maureen Hulf down there Xiao Yu Li who's won a few races from, from Taiwan but I think the one to beat who is the last on the list would be Laura Siddle from GBR Okay, John, so that's pretty much it for racing this week. But we do have some random news. And uh, Jorgensen did the New York Marathon, and John, she did crap, you reckon? I think so. I but, think. But, but, but in fairness to her, if you read the article, she before, basically after Rio or whatever it was, she never ran more than 10K. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, I think it's just, it shows she's human. She's a fantastic runner. And I think you can, you can blag your way through your 
chosen distance. So if she was unfit and went and did an Olympic distance triathlon, you can blag your way through. But when you've never done a marathon before and you want to go out there and run a really good marathon and you don't prepare, it's going to be pretty tricky. So I think that's what she found. I'm not being nasty to her or anything oh, like that. so nasty. But she should run a hell of a lot faster. She ended up with a, I think it was, was, it, was a 241, wasn't it? Was it 240 yeah, or 241? 241, 241 um, 38. 14th place. Oh, 231, 01. And yeah, she should be running um, sub 2.35. Yeah, relative to her 10k pace, she ran a 10k recently, and I think the Philanator was saying she went 32 high. And with that, you know, she should yeah easily be running 235 if not under. So sounded like it was a tough old day. Um, she's an amazing athlete, as we all know. But uh, but if yeah. we look at a 10k split, so she did fade. So the 10k splits reveal her uh, relatively short period and in increasing mileage race. Uh, she did first 10k in 36.05, second in 35.35. Third and thirty-eight, thirty-six, and fourth and forty point five five. So she just didn't have the endurance. Mm. You know, marathons are tough distance when you're when fast, you're fast. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, Pretty Desiree Ficko, when she did it, I, I didn't remember. I didn't recall that Desiree got second in Kona. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember her getting on the podium. I wasn't sure if it was second or third. Yeah, man. She was. She was a. There was, was a one. A, and, there was one and done. She though. really was. Just a. Like she we came in sport. It was all the talk because she was attractive mm. and had this one amazing result and he never saw her again. John and I have a bit of an inside joke about Desiree Ficker, which we can't talk about on the show. But, <laughs> um, but, but, yeah, she was definitely one done. And then she went to marathons and she got 10th in the New York Marathon in a time of 2.39.30, which we talk about poor paying in Ironman. She got 10th in the New York Marathon. She got $500. Oh, really? <laughs> That's <laughs> appalling. Really yeah. Because New York Marathon, Ironman make money. But New York Marathon must be printing money. Yeah. Because they get about 50,000 people, don't they? Yeah. And it's probably two or 300 bucks an entry. Plus they have t- sponsors. Oh, like know, proper to die sponsors. for. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so it's the second best triathlete time in the New York Marathon by Jorgensen. You think, so if she pulled off what you think she should have expected, which maybe were more of a 235, she would have got eighth. Yeah. But we, you know, remember, if we remember... Um was it Spirig or was it someone else? You know, she ran 235 or 237, I think. Maybe it was 237 somewhere last year. Oh, so I remember that, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, it was not a great result. The interesting thing uh, that I did notice on the article on triathlon, I think it was triathlete.com, uh, was that she says her immediate plans are now to be starting a family. So Ooh. maybe we won't see her dominating the dojo on the ITU circuit. We'll wait and see. Do you, oh, wow. I suppose how long we have for a kid a year? Totally depends. Could be all over, over. Oh, really? You going down that, like that path? Yeah, I think you see for the for the long course girls that there's there's a number of mums that, that that are still going strong, but at ITU stuff when there's so much travel involved because you you know you're racing a lot more often, moving all around, and especially for her, you know she's got a coach who's based in Australia. They often go from camp to camp. Um, things might change, so watch that space watch that John's made the call she's retired <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay um, uh, basically what else have we got heard, heard through the grapevine that heard through the grapevine I mean Western Australia has binned its carbon loading event in favour of the voucher system that we talked about on the show a while ago yeah and the evening awards party in favour of an afternoon do it's a bit sad don't you so wait a second, awards party, what's happening with the awards party? Well, you know, often you have a, an evening, like I would say Ironman New Zealand, you have an evening party uh, and, you know, you sort of have 
yep. awards and the dinner and stuff and then you kick on after that um, but it sounds like they're, they're just going to go for sort of the afternoon option where I don't you know kind if that's of necessarily a bad thing because a lot of people need to get away mm-hmm. and so you know like a lot of people and I'm in New Zealand for example you do Sunday night mm-hmm. after the race but a lot of people need to get back to life so if you could kind of have a mid-afternoon one maybe more people would hang around maybe they would yeah and you can still get in on a piss up afterwards could do yeah, yeah. make a long afternoon of it if you but want I, to yeah I don't know. It's a tricky one, We've, and we debated this last time having these these carbo loading pre events for the for the for us veterans. I'm like, meh, might go, might not. Mm. But for those um, newbies and stuff, oh, it's, a, it's amazing big, when big you're you you so buy into all the crap. Not the crap, but you're so buy into the experience of that carbo loading party. Now, admittedly. I haven't been to one in years. Mm-hmm. So be really You've not a race in years. <laughs> yeah, well, no, but, you know, like when I did it, Julie Moss was still a good story. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not quite sure of how they sell it nowadays. Is that, do they still put out Julie Moss? Mm. But I certainly went in, um, in Kona and, what did I? I can't remember. I certainly go to the, 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 the after one and I would always go to the after one, pre one. Mm, well, but I, I think the, the person who misses out is the first time Ironman. Because mm. the, the first time Carpet Learning Party, that's bro- I loved it. I thought it yeah, was great. great. You know, it was, I was right and buying into it all. So it, that's a bit of a pity. It's good for local business, and maybe it's a good way of buying a bit of PR for local business for the race. But I'd, I'd say, yeah, I'd rather get fifty bucks off my entry than uh, than just get a voucher to food and, and then go somewhere, somewhere else. Mm, interesting. Um, I mean, Weymouth. Well, what we'll be curious to see is: does this become the trend? Yes. Does this become the thing? That happens in Ironman actually in the long term maybe we won't see cover loading at all which would be a bit of a sad thing I think for the we'll see fat loading fat loading parties fat loading <laughs> parties there we go okay Ironman Weymouth has stopped it's Ironman distance race but the 70.3 still will be rolling on so wasn't it wasn't a massively popular Iron distance race and the yeah, it's always tricky when they run the, the Ironman on the same day as the 70.3 and uh, you know the feedback I got from this year it was you know it's a bit it's just a bit tricky and weird. You're passing 70.3 athletes, kind of, yeah. So the Ironman Weymouth, and there's so many Iron Distance races over in the UK these days, not just Ironmans, but there's so many standalone ones. And for the European athletes, you know, for, for guys, you know, it's, it's easier to pop over to Europe. So I'm picking there just wasn't the demand to sustain it. So uh, How many, how many Ironman races are in the UK? Oh, God knows. No, 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 no not distance. WTC. Um, or whatever the new business Bolton. is called. Bolton. Let me see. Let, let's see if I can get my UK knowledge going. There's Bolton, which is Ironman UK. There's Ironman Wales. I'll be, I'll be picking there's only only two, I think. Got quite a few a few 70.3s, but then you've got loads of iron distance ones. So, you know, yeah, you've like got the, the, and the, the Outlaw, uh, even. Um, and then a lot of these new boutique sort of extreme ones coming out. So, yeah, it's quite a lot. But it's interesting, you know, like the Outlaw does a pretty good job of selling, I'm not sure how many people they get into mm. into to the race, but from previous kind of memory, I, I recall it sold pretty well. Mm. And normally Ironman comes into a, into a market. Gonski. And especially in the UK, which is a really big triathlon market, you'd think. Mm. I wouldn't have predicted that they'd struggle to sell a race in the UK. Mm. So, interesting. Final piece of news, if you haven't listened into it, um, we have the interview with Siri Lindley on our Legends of Try podcast, so go check that out. And we also have a Blue 70 Reaction wetsuit. It'll be um, auction, which will be over in the next couple of days. So get on there and get yourself a great suit, great deal, and listen in to Siri Lindley. One thing that we didn't sort of say in that interview, 
she talks me up a little. I, I should have actually pegged her back. She talked me up a little bit. Hey, uh, and take I was, it. I'd I was, be taking it. It's like, sorry, your memory <laughs> what, what is. What was she saying? Because she came out here and, and to train in Christchurch and was sort of saying how all these inspirational Kiwis and Aussies and sort of saying that I was one of them. I was like, really, Siri, I think your memory's going. I think uh, I wasn't wasn't uh, John. That if you you submit, you're an inspiration. Mm. You're my inspiration. But it's great interview. And if you want a good, if you're a, a triathlete friend, want a bit of a little present for them for Christmas, check out Siri's book. Yeah, check it out. And there's a link to it in the show notes for The Legends of Triathlon. And uh, yeah, do check it out. She's a bit of a rock star. Okay, John, we have a stop of the button. And we are back. And John, we're going to talk about extreme endurance. We're going to have a study. They've just done another study there in uh, Arizona on extreme endurance. So they've, they've often promoted their study that they did over in Germany, which had some amazing results. But they had uh, University of Louisiana, um, Dr. David Bella, Director of Sport and Kinesiology, uh, the effects of 10 days of extreme endurance on performance, buffering capacity during exercise and post-exercise muscle damage, oxidative stress and inflammation. And uh, what they found, they got a 26% reduction in lactic acid, which is uh, fantastic, a 39% reduction in oxidative stress, and this is over sort of a 10-day period, and a six-time reduction in muscle damage and so that's sort of measuring the your, your ck levels over that 10 day period so i guess uh, the science is sort of backing up which is what we sort of harp on about each week is uh you know you want to get a nice boost in your performance reduce your muscle damage check it out xendurance.com and i will say bevan the family got brought down with the loogies last week no, cold, really? and uh and i came i was swimming on friday morning and had a good hard swim got out and thought Oh, crap, I think I can just feel a little thing in the back of my throat and going, oh, I hope this isn't going to turn into anything. Um, started cranking the immune boost over the weekend. It did I did get a little bit worse on Saturday, Sunday, but I buttoned off the training. Monday was right as rain, never never delved back into that deep, deep sickness. So <sighs> immune boost, start cranking that as well and help yourself stay nice and healthy. So check it out, xendurance.com. Remember the promo code IAMTALK10 on the .com or the .eu websites and get yourself a good deal. Kiwis and Aussies, you can get it through me via coachjohnnewsome.com. Okay, check it out. The science is saying it's working, team. They are big numbers. They're fantastic. Yeah, numbers. they really are. You know, twenty six percent reduction in lactic acid. That's that's mm. you know that's quite big, and thirty nine percent reduction in oxidative stress. You know, like this is good stuff. So if you are looking for that kind of little bit of an advantage, check it out. X endurance. Okay, John. Discussion of the week. So last week's discussion of the week, we pulled up the big question of if you could come up with one event to try and captive cultive. Um, sorry. What, what, a catapult a triathlon what would it be what innovations would you bring in and where and when would it be held for example the Island House Triathlon the Collins Cup Challenge Bahrain and so on we didn't get a massive amount of response to this one but I'll start with this one Michael Good and he's got uh, or gold or good gold uh, with the exception of F1 which is the world's second dullest sport after baseball although come on the baseball final was pretty phenomenal did you keep mm. an eye on that no not really I mean, I know the result, but I don't watch it. It was a pretty great sport. Yeah. It was an amazing sport. Yeah. Two teams who hadn't won, like, ever came down to the last game in the finals, mm. game yep. seven, uh, yep. went into overtime. Like, how about that? Um, um, the major TV sports are done and dusted in 80 to 90 minutes. Triathlon has to meet that time limit for viewers' interests. Sh- uh, short city races with the finish line in well-known places. I agree. Well, if one is a boring sport, I'll still, I'll still watch F1. I don't, I don't watch it, but 
I could quite happily sit down and watch that. I've never watched it. It's bizarre how you have these sports that are really boring. Talk well, like cricket. Like so Mick Simpson's got what about cricket? Last five days is huge around the world, although test cricket is kind of fading right now. But um, yeah, I can sit down and watch a day of cricket. Mm. Sprint distance, uh, Duncan Penfold, sprint distance races back to back with 20 athletes and the last three get eliminated until we have a winner. Each race starts on the hour, so if you finish <laughs> nice. at 55 minutes, you get five minutes recovery, miss the start and you're off. The winner will end up doing six or seven races back to back. That is kind of a cool concept, but I don't know about TV spectacle. No. Imagine doing an Ironman like that. So you'd do nine, roughly nine... Uh, 17 hours? No, for, for a pro, because if you wanted to get a 180k bike, and that's quite a lot of running. Oh, no, yeah, it's, no, it's about the same. It's 45k of running. If you did nine sprint distance triathlons, or eight, that would be... Uh, and there's a time limit? Out. Well, if you did them on the hour, like he's saying, you know, the top guys would be coming in, as you said, you know, somewhere between 50 and 55 and uh, whew, that'd be tough Lucy Francis has got uh, if the Tour de France can be televised for three to four hours and it's only cycling I'm sure we can take the leaf out of their book people can also stand on the side of the road all day to see riders go past in a flash the crowds aren't all cyclists either with a mix of people who enjoy the French countryside food and wine I believe our sport will get to that level but we're just too young uh, don't change anything to the current format she's a traditionalist a traditionalist um, um, hey it ain't broke don't fix it but it is broke yeah, <laughs> come on Lucy sharpen up there wasn't much of an answer uh, Richard Swan hold it anywhere but the Middle East no worse promotion for sport than a sporting event which no one goes to watch like all the sporting events <coughs> funded by petrodollars and hey wasn't the Abu Dhabi, Abu Dhabi long course race a real game changer I agree with Richard there that I watched uh, the cr- crowds the it, cricket Test. No, no, that when you don't have the crowds, I watched a little clip of the um, Island House Triathlon, which, as we've agreed, is a really cool format. Um, get some good athletes there, but there was like five spectators, and it was just weird. And especially when they were starting off like the race, it was like nobody there. Wow. <laughs> it was weird. Well, because well, they take some of the tests, because I don't think they play in Pakistan right now with test cricket, so they go to somewhere like Abu Dhabi. Yeah, or something Abu Dhabi, like, yeah. yeah. And literally five people were in the crowd. Mm. It must be really weird if you're an international sports star where you used to, you know, go to India and you play and it's just packed out mm. and then you have five people, you know, it's kind of bizarre. So Andrew Brunt's got um, multi-lap, a bike 5 to 10k, run 2.5k, racing for pros day after age groups at IM and you have, if you get lapped, you're out of the race. Hold it in through towns as so us age groupers can have a beer and coffee to watch the action. That's actually quite a cool idea. Oh, absolutely. I think a multi-lap race would be And really an elimination cool. race. The only problem with the elimination race is it kills, like let's say you're a really good cyclist, like a Starkowitz. Mm. He wins the race because he just gets rid of people. Mm. So then the runners, if you're doing an elimination, like let's say you've got someone like a Starkowitz, and who's a stupid fast runner who's not a great cyclist? Um, Matt Hansen, he was, he's a really good runner. Okay. And there's a chance he could get lapped. Mm-hmm. So he's out of the race, but he could have ran up and done really well. Yeah, I don't know about lapping it. I do like the format of having lots of laps. 5 to 10k might be a little bit short. I'd say 15, something like that would be good. And then you well, when, when we had the, when, What was the lap that we had when they, they used to have New Zealand cycle champs here in Christchurch and they'd do a lap. That would be, it would have been 12, 12k, something like that. That was a pretty good size lap because what mm. you found is there was an area just not far from where I am here and uh, basically everyone would congregate there 
And you basically, they all come through. It was uphill, so it was a bit, mm. you know, they slowed down a little bit. Massive crowds, everyone kind of catch up, a bit good gossip session. And then every 10, 15 minutes, maybe 20 minutes, the pros would come through again and mm. just a really kind of nice time. Get a feed, come back, and they come through again. So that was quite cool. Stephen Pale, uh, Stephen Pate, bring back the Tui's Blue Grand Prix style racing with all the heavy hitters, varying distances and events. Does need a big sponsor and TV coverage to get off the ground, though. Those were the glory days. Your Strangers got uh, four up team competition as per team trials time trial and cycling all four stay together for all four three legs and can only draft within their own team run this over shorter distances perhaps sprint and make it a balls out effort also make it laps with each lap going faster uh, going past the start finish straight with the sealed support uh, could even be very excited if well done so it could be done in a stadium as a duathlon as well. I find te- time trials and team time trials incredibly boring. I bet they're the most fun thing to do. I've done like a couple and awesome fun to do, but I find time trials quite boring to watch. That's my two cents. Gary Fegan, I like the idea of a city... <laughs> just dim- <laughs> you just dismissing it. I'm not dismissing it. I'm saying like the idea, but I personally <laughs> but I don't like it. <laughs> find watching end of time trials and drafting... Team time trial is really boring. I watched the Tour of Southland. I watched uh, pretty much all the stages last week. And um, team time trial is like, oh, what about, I can't get excited what about, about it. That, what about that rower? Hamish Bond. Yeah, it's impressive. We had yeah. a, row, row, a rower and he finished uh, in the top 10 in our biggest cycling tour. But probably most impressively, on the really tough day where they had a, a climb up to a ski field, he finished second. And the dude that beat him was on his team and was weighed about five kilograms. It was unbelievable. This guy in the middle, he's one of the best athletes in the world. Like his, so Hamish Bond and Eric Murray have been the world's leading skull, is it? I don't know much. Double right. skull. Double skull. Um, they've basically been undefeated for the last seven or eight years, isn't it? Like they've mm. never lost a race. So, and, mm. and they're miles ahead of everyone else. Like it's unbelievable how great they are. But comes into a cycle. Now, it's, it's not Tour de France level, but it's what, what maybe third third level? Mm, fourth. Okay. But yeah. still, you know. Yeah, best cyclist in New Zealand. Yeah, and just comes along and, man, it's impressive. Uh, Gary Fegan, I like the idea of city or stadium venues. There has to be a crowd. A championship is needed for long-term interests. Mixed formats of team relay, elimination and time trial, multi-lap, etc. would spice it up. Um, Multi-event omnium triathlon. <laughs> Lastly, there should be a triathlon teams and not necessarily by country. That way you can have a league dynamic and attract high-level sponsorship. So going down sort of the cycling path. Okay, Arnold's got, I would love to see the Australian Super Series back, short racing, short race, uh, various other, uh, it was all, oh sorry, various orders, it was all fireworks, it would be a great perfect companion to uh, ITU racing, we can also imagine an indoor circuit as we had in France in the early 90s. So they used to have a triathlon in France, they did it in Bordeaux, I think it was, and uh, and I, I saw a little bit of it the other day as well. Which indoor triathlon, they plonked a, a pool in the middle of the, of the it was a bit track. Odd. I watched it once when Mark Allen was racing one of the Australian guys, and it was on a cycling mm. track, wasn't it? Mm. And Brad Brad Bevan got a uh, got a lap up and then ran bare feet and yeah. just drilling it. But it's a f- funny old Frenchies. They always have their funny rules. I noticed when they came out of the swim, they must have had. Must they needed to dry off before they got on their bike, and I'm p- picking that so when they got onto the track, the track didn't get really slippery with lots of water. And so I think they came out of the swim. They must have been like, you've got to spend 15 seconds drying off, and they all had timekeepers standing next to them, and they had to spend that time drying off. So, uh, Mike Th- Threadgold, uh, I guess I just don't understand how a race with no live coverage, i.e. Island House, is 
taking triathlon forward. I'm sure it's great for the, those taking part, but as a fan, I have no interest in watching a non-live sporting event when I already know the results. Christopher Duran, who's got the, an elimination race, three sw- lap swim with people eliminated after every lap, then a four lap bike with people eliminated after every lap, and then a four lap run with people eliminated after every lap over Olympic distance. Cool. Uh, Frank Houdini McVeigh, he's yelling this at us. He's yelling. And he gives me shit for a commas, but then he's got an all caps, mate. Sharpen up. <laughs> I would reduce the pro race to three. That's a comma, Bevan. One iron two and two halves. Top 40, 40 male and females go to Kona. Make Kona a real world championship. It's hard to read full caps. Yeah. Um, 9 a.m. start. You don't need to shout. Just <laughs> calm down, Frank. It's calm down. 9 a.m. start for a midnight finish. If you can't make make it, then you shouldn't be there. Keep going till keep going to 3 a.m. to get a finishers medal, but a DNF DNF is recorded. Do you want to keep it going yep. on? Or you no, I'm, I'm sick of the caps. <laughs> You're sick of caps. Okay, Kristen McKinley, whatever it needs to be, it needs to be short, exciting, and attractive TV coverage. What may be exciting to us Tri Geeks won't be to the masses. Maybe Baywatch style wear or beach running for the event. <laughs> it's interesting she put that forward. Because <coughs> if a guy had, he would have been a sexist pig. Mm. Robert um, Boom Boom Beelan, some try in a stadium like the form, former Formula One, I believe. The athlete can decide what order he does to try in. That would be fascinating, wouldn't it? That would be fascinating. <laughs> that's a bit that's innovative. Yeah. The, the runner, therefore, has no longer the advantage. The race should be... Uh, spectacular with some starting with a run and finishing with a bike etc now he's an innovator yeah he's an innovator because no one else came up with that idea how would you do that well it's just go and you can go to your bike yeah, no, and no, go I understand swim how you, you do it but if I was doing it what would your best order be would it just be swim bike run don't know well it depends on your strength doesn't it you want to finish on the bike wouldn't you I don't know because you, you could run fast, so you, but you don't want to be you don't want to be jumping in the swim when you're fatigued. I think you got to do the swim first because you, you you know what it's like when you jump in the swim after being running, you feel like you're about to drown. But only for the first hundred meters. Mm. You know what I mean? Like it's not that's not like if, what distance are we doing here? We're doing sprint, sprint distance. So what's five. that? Five hundred, seven fifty, seven fifty. 25. 20, 25, okay. You've done a lot of sprint distance triathlons in I your time. Know, I don't know if we've done one. Okay, so you, can, you, so you want to get the run done. Go run first because you can smash yourself on the run mm. and then you bike second. I think I'd swim bike run. Oh, you reckon, do you? Oh, well, that's breaking with tradition. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I just thinking about it. I think I can, the best sport, to do fatigued, I think, would be running. I think Don't I reckon cycling? No. I reckon when you get heavy legs on the bike, it's all over, Rover. But you can still, I can still run pretty hard when I'm tired. Oh, see, I would have gone the other way. I would have gone maybe swim, run, bike. Because hmm. your legs get tired on the bike, you can still push through. Whereas when you're heavy on the run... Well, I can push her on the run. I can't push her on the bike. Oh, but it also so come tactical. It also come tactical. depending who you're racing and figuring out how you might be able to break them. If you've got somebody of... Equal ability, or, or you know, if you know that you're a better runner than someone, then you might try to run first, get away from them, and then break it up. So yeah, it'd be really interesting. The finish line would be funny, but because you have a guy running towards the finish line to go on the bike. Yeah. Or <laughs> yeah. well, well, how do you do the swim finish? How do you do that? You just have to jump out and yeah. run to the run to the line. Yeah. 
That's a cool idea. Mm. I think Robert wins. Robert, you win. You win nothing, you but, you, but you win. Yeah. Uh, so I think a lot of, one thing that didn't get mentioned in here is uh, the French Iron Tour, which is such a shame it's not there, because I reckon that would be one thing that could make a big difference. But What was that for me? That was, was it, it was about five, it was five to seven days of doing something every day, and it was different, okay, e- like different every day. Yep, yep. And that was proper, you know, it was supposed to be the Tour de France of triathlon, and it was very successful for, for, for a good amount of time so i think the, the challenge we've got here is island house type thing is cool but the athletes are so diverse these days putting an iron distance race racer against an itu is just it's never going to work they're just I, the itu guys are just unless you do it over an iron man so you've got you, these days you've got really three distinct groups you know you've got your itu races you've got your half iron man races and you've got your iron man races now in the middle there there's a little bit of crossover between some if there's a few itu athletes that can do well at half iron mans and there's a few half iron man athletes that can do well at iron man but you did these days you do get your specialists in all three distances you know like a tim don these days it's not fast enough for, for itu um really good at half iron man and Hasn't done that well at Ironman. He's pulled out one or two good ones, but he's still very much half Ironman athlete. Terenzo, much the same. You know, you saw him at the Island House series. He did pretty well, but mm. didn't beat the top kahunas. Awesome half Ironman athlete. Still not really performing at Iron Distance Race. And then you got guys like, you know, Fredino, who's can do pretty much great at halves and fulls, but these days at Olympic, he'd probably still get a bit spanked. So <clears throat> you've got three distinct groups, so I think you kind of almost need to have a... So this where you think an Iron Tour would work because it kind of mixes it all up? Well, no, I think you've got to have different marquee events for each different group. Um, so I think for, for the ITU guys side, side of things, getting away from your standardised 1,500, 40, 10, two hours. Nobody's going to watch two hours. I mean, your hardcore triathletes these days, they'll watch two hours. But, you know, if we want to get more people in, it's got to be a half-hour show, you know. It's, it's 2020-type cricket stuff. Yeah, but, but how are you going to do it, John? So you said we all kind of understand, but what's the format that does it? Uh, so I think the F1, F, there's two formats for the short course. You go F1 format, and those races were half an hour or so. So, you know, you might have a bit of a series during the season, three races. And <clears throat> I don't think you can be creating more stuff i think this would need to get integrated into the itu circuit because those guys are racing so many races anyway so i think you need to integrate that into the itu series have a few short sharp races or eliminators the half ironman um, distance i think going to multi-lap as we've had discussed on the you know a few of the comments there i think with that half ironman doing laps of 15 k's or so on the bike and then multi-lap run i think would be awesome uh and then for the lot the the long course for your Ironman athletes, you know, I think the main thing they need to do is actually get some bloody TV coverage. You know, I mean, we're sitting here. How long was Ironman ago? Is it about a month ago now? Mm. We haven't. There's no. Yeah, but Ironman coverage isn't highlight it, show. It's, you know, it's, it's for the public. Sorry. Well, you, how many people are crying for it? Me, I'm, I'm in oh, tears. No, yeah, he did come around with water in his eyes today. I'd want to watch Frankfurt. I totally yeah you yeah, do but, but, but a lot of people if if that if that was on main relatively mainstream sporting shows and it was promoted a bit more but maybe it has been but there's no announcement for Ironman or anything like that that hey come watch Ironman Frankfurt we're in the triathlon world and I can't go and watch Ironman Frankfurt 
Yeah, yeah, no, it's yeah. mental. So I think for Ireland, since the first, you know, let's take at least one step in the right direction before we even totally revolutionise it, and let's actually say, how about we get a little bit of TV coverage and actually promote it at least to the triathlon world, so we can actually watch the pros racing in Frankfurt. Bevan, what's your suggestions? Okay, my suggestions. My suggestions. There's got to be drama. Like, what attracts you to sport? Dra- well, I, I'm different to most people. I just want to yeah, see the pros really racing. <laughs> I, just, I just want to watch. No, but but right. But but, well, but what's going to attract people? Like, why did I care about the, the baseball? I don't care about baseball at all. And I actually watched. Mm. Admittedly, I watched it pretty poorly on the internet. But I wanted to see the final. Now it was dramatic. It was there was drama. So how does a new sport captivate that? How does someone, uh, triathlon is not a new sport, but for general Joe Public, what would be the thing that would make them want to see that? And for me, it's how do you create as much drama in the format? Mm -hmm. So now how do you do that? I'm not quite sure. I I think of like Robert's idea is a really cool idea because it's really interesting to see how this is going to play out. Um, But to be honest, I don't really have the answer. Is my answer <laughs> <laughs> right? But I think 30, thirty minutes. I mean, you can't make a nine-hour race that exciting. No, but, but I don't think I missed the answer. Tour de France is. Everybody goes on about the Tour de France, but most people will watch the half-hour highlights package. Yeah, but Tour de France is different because it's it's not like you one guy at the front and see you later, and it's the end of the day. Mm-hmm. You know, like I mean, very much as you kind of watch this. It's not tactical in the bike race. It's kind of more just seeing what's happening. Whereas Tour de France, it's a game of chess the whole time, isn't it? And so it's quite a dynamic race, even though it's a long race. Ironman, it's kind of just watching a stretch happening and then watching to see who breaks away. And then once someone breaks away, it's kind of, okay, see you later and see what happens after that. And so Ironman's never going to be an appealing... Ironman. Short course stuff is, though. Oh, the story yeah. and the storytelling. Mm. You, do, you, you do the F1 short course stuff. I think a hell of a lot more people will be interested to watch it rather than a two-hour Olympic distance race. The sad thing Smaller is, fields as Olympic well. has killed innovation in our sport. Mm-hmm. And that's what's really sad because in the 90s, innovation was happening all over the place in triathlon. Lots of different things, lots of different excitement. In Australia, triathlon was a pretty big thing and they had TV coverage and they, they made it work around TV, didn't they? Mm. Like all the different things they tried in Australia proved to be pretty successful at that time didn't it yep. you know uh, to joe public in australia these guys were household names weren't they mm. and then the olympics came along and and since that you know in the last 16 years mm. we've just seen three formats of triathlon which haven't captivated the public so until we're willing to innovate and i, and I suppose maybe the better question is to say is how can we make innovation more important in our sport because it's not happening mm. So there you go. Great. I had that in all caps, just like who did. Great. Yeah. Now I looked at the Ironman Florida results this week. Oh, I wanted to veto. I want to do an F one. Oh, okay. But you, you can do it. But I can't. Well, it's just you're always doing racing lately. I want to. Do, what's your most disappointing moment in triathlon? Okay, go for it. You know what I mean? I want. To, I want to have an emotional answer this my, week. My disappointing moment is right now. I had a great, <laughs> great topic, and uh, and it's just been shot down in flames. Okay. So, what is your most ever? disappointing moment and, and, and what we don't want to hear is oh but I turned it around don't want to hear that crap oh he's pointing the finger at me this is a serious yeah, topic this is a serious topic Tim. I don't muck around so what is your most disappointing moment in your triathlon career look forward to next week's mind-blowing I bet topic. you will get more than bloody 12 answers I'll tell you that much next week's mind-blowing topic is going to be I'm going to roll this one over so I'm not even going to mention what it is but it's it's pretty good it's pretty good <laughs> mind-blowing <laughs> okay we got, we got an interview here we go
Age Grouper of the Week. Okay, we uh, we had an interview, and you're going to hear it really soon, a really great interview. Um, but I'm not quite sure how we transitioned into this bit. <laughs> I'm not quite sure. I think I said we have an interview coming. So, uh, But we've skipped to Age Group of the Week. John, I've got some new music. Have you? I feel, I've, yeah, I've got lots of good music. I was thinking we need new music. I'm, I'm pleased. Yeah, yeah. Well yeah. done. Yeah, I've I, I, I got some really good music, Jonbo. But anyway, while you're talking about that, I'm going to find the music for you in the background so you can hear it. So what I thought I want to keep highlighting some Kona age groupers because um, it's bloody tough to get to the top of your age group. And uh, so I thought we'll just keep looking at a bit of a selection. So the 50 to 54 men in Kona. In third place, you had Matthew Aguirre in 929. Pablo Escalas was second in 9.14 a pretty convincing victory by 6 minutes Brent Anderson from Denmark so if you're a 50 to 54 athlete this is how fast you need to go in Kona swam 56, solid rode 5.01 and then ran 3.14 for a 9.18.51 nice so finished 89th overall for a 50, 50 year old <laughs> not bad not bad it's pretty awesome aren't they being in the top 100 when you're 50 I'd be pretty happy with that. On the girls' side of things, we had uh, Kathy Winkler in third in 11.08. Iris uh, Tideken from Deutschland in third, uh, second in 10.53. And again, about a, about a six-minute six victory. Lisbeth Kenyon from Norway. Uh, she swam 104, rode 5.42, and ran 3.51 for a 10.47.13. Good times. Yeah. And she finished 952nd ten, overall. Ten what? Ten, 1047. In the 50s? In the 50s. Female 50s. I'm wow. just trying to see if they give you a female ranking on here. As an overall? Yeah. <coughs> That's Hun- pretty phenomenal. 117. Uh, Female overall. I would have picked that to be less. She was gender ranked 157 out of the swim, 100 on the bike. 117 on the run. Okay, there you go. Nice work. That's our 50 to 54 age groupers of the week. Okay, ready? Three, two, one. Start, start, stick. It's fantastic. fantastic. I have got music, but we don't use music for that. But I'm going to show you a bit of our new music. So here's, here's, I'm going to get a lot more, but here's one of them. Come on, music. Bit of hard rock with that one, John. Is this your music? No, no, no. it's just, no. Here's, here's another one. Bit of, bit of uh, porn, <laughs> you know, basically. Bounch, bunch, bunch, bunch. And then we've got a bit of home base groove. Ooh, a bit kind of just calm. Yeah, cool. calm. Sitting around on a Saturday afternoon in the sun. What else have we got? I've got quite a few. I haven't got them all here. <laughs> what? It's for today. We're going to the races, John. Today. Going to the races. So I managed to find, I, I, there's a website that does royalty-free music, and one time years ago I was using it for some other work that I was doing, and I paid them like $100 so I could use all their music, mm-hmm. um, and it was actually a donation thing, and I forgot all about it, and then when, when GarageBand upgraded the music system, it, it, didn't, it lost all its jingles, mm-hmm. and so I thought, oh, well, I'll go back to there, and so John, be excited, there's going to be lots of cool music. So Statstastic this week, now... Sometimes my, my information here is stats, sometimes it's facts, so I'm just going to blur it all into one because I like the name Statistic. But this was an interesting one. I this found I've, I've found a um, I found something on Ironman website from 2003 that had 25 different stats, so I'm going to pull them out from, from time to time. From 2003? Yeah, so some of them, I've got to verify, updated. Yep. updated, but this one is a record that cannot be broken. 
It's the slowest ever finish time ever recorded at the Ironman Triathlon World Championships was 26 hours and 20 minutes. Wow. So that can never be broken, as we know, because the limit is 17 hours these days. Set by a guy called Walt Stack, who was 73, and it was in 1981. And so I thought that was that's a pretty cool, um, interesting fact as it is, a stat. Yeah. yeah. But then I thought, oh, I wonder if there's anything written about this guy, Walt Stack, who did it. And so I, go, I, I chucked him into Google and, and somebody had made a Wikipedia page. So unfortunately he passed away in 1995. So he was uh, 1908 to 1995. But he was uh, a hod carrier by trade. And, a what? And, I don't know, it says hod carrier. It's not hood, it's hod, hod carrier by trade. Uh, and an iconic part of the San Francisco, California running um, community by popular, popular acclaim. Slack ran approximately 62,000 miles in his lifetime and even as in his 70s and 80s, he ran many more marathons and 50 mile ultra marathons um, than all but few of his running peers. He was also featured in a Nike commercial um, by Just Doing It in 1988. So he was actually in the, the first Nike commercial where they used the term Just Do It. Right. I went and watched it on YouTube, and it's him running over, uh, like, must be like one of the big bridges. It might even be San Francisco. It's San Francisco. Yeah, because yeah. he's from there. And uh, and it's quite funny because it's saying he runs like 17 mile in the morning, he's like 81 or something. And they said, well, What do you do if you get chattery teeth? He said, I'll leave him at home. <laughs> <laughs> but then it was just do it. It was the, it was the first time. Nike ever used just do it. Ah, yeah. And so for 27 years, from 1966 until 1993, um, Stack persisted persisted in covering a set training route. His highly visible training route uh, made him a San Francisco institution. I'm going to do this till I get planted. Uh, Slack decreed. He started on his bike. He would ride six hilly miles from somewhere into somewhere, and then once he got there, he'd strip off his shirt, displaying tattoos of peacocks and wild horses and bathing beauties across his broad chest, and then he proceeded to run at 17 miles or 27 k's uh, over the Golden Break bridge to Saltio and back and then after that he would uh, swim one mile and the other interesting thing that I found in this um, post was he was one of the first one of the only if not the only person who was actually incarcerated in the in Alcatraz to actually swim from Alcatraz to back to land oh so he actually spent time there yeah I don't, I don't think it was where was it he was the only actual prisoner, and I've got prisoner in sort of quotation marks, of Alcatraz Island to have made a successful swim from Alcatraz to the shores of Fisherman's Wharf. Slack was a prisoner on Alcatraz for a six-month period sentence to hard labour while a youth for having left his post AWOL in the Philippines. Wow. He in fact swam the distance many times in later years as a participant in the sanctioned Alcatraz swims, which, would, uh, which have become quite popular. He often swam year round in the cold bay waters. So, so, so a couple of interesting things. So, he sounds like he's a real character. And in another article, John found they, they did a piece on him, but there's a piece on Sports Illustrated about him. And he's got Slack was out running in the hills near his home, and he uh, it should be called climbing. He was running with a group of women from his running club, the Dolphin South End Runners. When suddenly one of them recalls, I heard a star sharp crack. I looked back, and Walt was stretched out on the sidewalk, bleeding with a cut from his head. Walt, what happened? I yelled. That's what comes from being a dirty old man, he said. <laughs> I dropped back to check out your legs and I ran into an overhanging branch. <laughs> <laughs> so he sounds like he's a bit of a character. And a hood carrier, so a hood carrier, basically it was a skilled labourer in, in the past, in the building industry, and a hood carrier basically would hold bricks for a bricklayer. 
Oh, okay. Carrie Brooks around for a book release. So he obviously was a very physical man his whole life. And when he did his Iron Man, uh, or did the the twenty six hour Iron Man, uh, he was seventy three, and he did a three hour swim and a leisurely bike. History has it that he was pretty tired on the run, so he just eased off the course, lay nap. down in someone's yard, took a nap. Um, once refreshed, he set off on his own 26-mile jaunt and near its conclusion got hungry. So what do you do when your stomach starts talking? Head for the restaurant nat- naturally. The Kona Ranch House, which used to be on Palani Road, is, uh, but is no more. The way I heard it, he was eating his waffle breakfast, reading the morning newspaper with the results of yesterday's Ironman race <laughs> in it, the race which he was still actually competing. <laughs> So, so basically, once breakfast was finished, he got back out on the course, finished the race in a speedy 26 hours and 20 minutes and still holds the record for the longest race time in Kona. And uh, basically, pretty much after that year, they brought the cutoff times into yes. the game. So yeah. he was the influence on that. So just a real kind of personality of the sport, mm. isn't he? I was very surprised where that led me. That, that, uh, that little and what's really interesting is he was a bit before his time because ultra running mm. can't have been a very big thing back in those days. No, no. You know, so... Yeah. Hit me with some of that music, Bevan. Okay, here's some of this music. Here we go. Okay, John, we've got an interview coming up, and it's a it's a bloody good interview. It is. So John McAvoy is coming up, and you're going to hear his interesting story to being a fast time. And we didn't actually, as you'll find out, we don't actually talk much about triathlon in the interview. Uh, it talks about you know getting into sport and what have you. But he's a very accomplished Ironman athlete uh, in his relatively short career to date. So uh, we're nine hours ten, as you're going to hear, in wrote this year. No, Frankfurt. Uh, Frankfurt, sorry, um, but. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting story. He's also got some really good running success. Two hours fifty-two in the Manchester Marathon. Um, went fifth place in his age group at Staffordshire seventy point three, and did the London Ultra Duathlon in fourth place overall. Mm, okay, well, here we go. Here is John. Righty ho. So guys, we've got a. Um, it's going to be, I think it's going to be a fascinating interview coming up um, with John McAvoy. And for you UK listeners, as I said in the intro, you may have may have heard his story. He's been on uh, a lot of the big newspapers and uh, looks like he's been on a few of the breakfast shows. Oh, but, mate, you've got a celebrity. He's got but, the paparazzi outside. <laughs> the reason I came across <laughs> this, I was um, just uh, on Facebook the other day and I saw old Hal Tao. He put a post on there that said this, this book's coming out and it said... Uh, from uh, what was it? What was the title of the book? It's from behind, the, from redemption, from Iron Bars to Iron Man. And I thought, I wonder what this is all about. And uh, sent, sent Hal Tao an email and said, What's all this about? Can you hook us, hook us up, and we'll do an interview. So we're going to hear the story about John, and um, yeah, we'll see where, we, where it takes us. So welcome along to the show, John. Hello, hello, John. Hey, a great name to start with. You, oh, you, you can't go wrong. You, you've been blessed from the early days. Um, <laughs> now, your story is um, is pretty intriguing, and uh, so I guess to summarise it, you've you've reformed yourself from being behind bars. But maybe uh, tell us how you, how the hell you ended up behind bars, and and what the early part of your life was like. Um. So, 
basically, I grew up in a quite a big sort of criminal family in London. Um, everyone, well, not everyone, but quite a few of them are engaged in quite like high level organized crime. And um, so growing up, I was I was always quite a very ambitious kid. And I grew up around all these older men that were what I deemed at that time to be very successful in life. Like they heard all the trappings of what I thought success was to be, which was like money. And all of them basically, or the vast majority of them, committed criminal activity of some sort or the other. So being that sort of ambitious kid and having those sorts of people around me and guiding me, um, I thought in life that was success. And it, it wasn't about going to work and getting a job and then earning all that money legitimately and then being able to buy a house, being able to buy cars and stuff. Like I wasn't, I didn't really have that open to me. Like I didn't really have that avenue. I didn't see that. All I saw, everyone that was successful in life, were engaged in crime. And everyone I saw that was struggling a little bit in life, they they basically they worked. And mm. and being a very ambitious kid, like I always wanted to be a millionaire when I was a kid. I was obsessed with it when mm. when I was growing up. But like I always wanted to have millions of pounds. And again, when I was looking at all these people around me, and lots of them quite wealthy, they they all committed crime. So. I basically, when I got to the age of like 12, 13, 14 years old, my stepfather came out of prison after serving quite a big sentence for armed robbery. And he basically didn't have a son. And um, and he kind of took me under his wing. And he just basically introduced me to this like court sort of criminal underworld um, where, again, all these people were doing what they were doing. And then I kind of started getting a realisation of what these people were actually doing and what the sort of crimes that they were committing and the sorts of money that they were making. And I kind of just basically basically opted out of school and I just basically give up my education. I started truing in. Um, I had no sort of, I just didn't think school was going to take me to what I wanted in life. And, and, and so I started basically, I just basically went off the rails completely. And, and my mum kind of lost control of me because I was, I was at that age where I was, I was not hanging around with men in like late thirties, early forties. Um, and then I, I, I basically stopped going to school and then I basically started going, going down the road of criminality. And when I was, um, when I was 16, I bought my first gun. Wow. Um, and then, yeah, and then I, I ended up going on the path. And at 18 years old, I got arrested for armed robbery. And I, I ended up going to, I was at the Old Bailey, which is in central London. It's like the highest court in the United Kingdom. Uh, I, uh, yeah, I was 18 years old then. And I, I got acquitted of quite a lot of robberies. But then they, I got found guilty or I went guilty of a conspiracy to commit a robbery. And I got five years in prison. So then when, when I got incarcerated, um, at 18, that I, they made me in this country is called a Category A prisoner. So that they they thought because of my links to the criminal underworld, and I was quite young, but because of my family connections, they thought that someone would try to break me out of prison. So they made me Category A, and and they because I was too young to go into an adult prison, they put me in a young offenders institution, and then I couldn't be held there because I was too high security. So they had to keep me in a segregation unit of an adult prison, and that's basically where my sort of journey of exercise started because. When I was basically locked up in this cell, um, I didn't want to become institutionalised. And I remember like, I've, I've had conversations with family members when they said they was in prison and, and they would avidly read books and they'd make sure they stay connected to the outside world. So I started doing that and I'd read the, um, I'd read like the, the Times newspaper or the Daily Mail from cover to cover every day. But then the, the, the form of exercise and started taking hold. And, and I, was, I was really, really poor at school, at sport. Like I went to an all boys school and they basically, if you wasn't very good at football, they just, you weren't really looked at as an athlete. Mm. So I wasn't very good at football. And and then even then, like even when we did do stuff like athletics and stuff, I would always be that little chubby kid that 
give up and I would always I was I just didn't think I was athletically gifted and it never really sort of it was never really an interest to me at school either like really I like I used to play a bit of football but that was about it so when I was in prison and I was doing these this training in my cell it wasn't to get fit it was just a form of escapism from being it locked up for 23 hours a day so I would do these like thousand rep circuits in my cell where I do a thousand squats a thousand press-ups thousand burpees and I would do it over and over again. And I would then, that would take me like an hour and a half, two hours a day. But that would kill two hours of my day. But it made me feel alive. And being locked up in that cell, it was something that just made me feel like I wasn't existing. I was, I was, I was alive. But I could feel my muscles burning. And, and it made me feel good. But as I said, I wasn't training to get fit. And I kind of, I did that. And I got, I got released after two and a half years. And, and to be perfectly honest with you, I, I had no desire to be rehabilitated when I was in prison the first time at all. Um, and they basically let me back out onto the street. And then I, um, I just basically continued doing what I was doing before. And the police had me under surveillance and they was watching me. And, and I knew it, I knew it was a ticking time bomb. And I, um, I went abroad, I went out to Europe. Um, and then I come back after a, a few months and then I, I, I got arrested for another conspiracy to commit armed robbery. And then this time it was like, yeah, the, the, the time before I probably, I had an element of good luck this time. It was, they, they absolutely threw the book at me and they give me two life sentences, wow. um, at 22, at 22 years old, um, because they thought I posed such a danger to the public because I was so young and the severity of my offending and they said my links to the criminal underworld in this country. And then I was kept in this high security unit in Belmarsh prison. And again, that's where the training took hold uh, over again. Cause it was, it was about escapism and it was about just getting me, making me feel alive again. And I, I, I was obsessive with these, with this training in my cell every single day. And I was locked up for 23 hours a day. And then when, when I used to have my exercise period, like you'd be kept, go outside and it's like, it was like quite a high security exercise yard with helicopter wire and stuff to stop people from coming over. And then that, that's where I, I, I used to do a bit of running. And before that, like, I didn't do any training whatsoever. Like, them times where I was out of prison, like, I might go to the gym and lift some weights every now and again, but I was never, like, a fitness sort of person. I'd go out partying and stuff. And it was only when I got locked up again that then this time, the training just took a whole new meaning onto me. Like, it, it was something, because you tend to find in prison, people either go down a few roads, they go down the educational road where they, they read, read, read and try to get as many qualifications as they can. They go down a drug road where they start taking illegal drugs in prison, but it's a form of escapism. Yeah. Or the, the road that I travelled down, which was the, the training road in prison, where, which other prisoners do do. Like they, 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 they were like me to a certain degree, but they trained them every day. And, and then basically what happened, John, when, when I was doing this and I was kept in this high security unit, I was only around another seven other prisoners because it was a very tight high. It was called the HSU, which is, is high security unit. And when I was transferred out of there after two years to a, the main prison population, um, we would have like um, it was the first time I've interacted with lots of different prisoners. So when I was kept in this environment, we, they would have like competitions at Christmas in the gym where it would be um, like strongman, which was powerlifting. And then they would have like um, a fitness circuit competition the following day, which was called Superstars. And then on the powerlifting competition, and as I said, like now I understand it, but back then I didn't, like because I had no interest in athletics or athletic ability. But I always know it when when we did these competitions, like I was always like the third strongest in the prison, and I never really used to lift weights or anything. And then, and then the next day, do the fitness competition, and I would just walk through everyone. Like no one, no one could get near me in the prison. Bear in mind that like, a lot of these guys have been locked up for a long time. 
mm. um, like 15, 16, 17 years and they've been training every single day. And I, would, I just turned up and it, it, I started thinking to myself, like, I'm, I'm quite fit. Like, I, I, it, the fitness element of it kind of resonated me a bit. I, I kind of understood that I was a lot quicker than other people. But all I was interested in at the time was getting the free box of Quality Street that the prison officers bought in to give you a surprise for coming first. And I didn't care about anything. I also just wanted the chocolates, basically. And, um, and I was quite, I was just, yeah, it didn't really sort of, it didn't really sort of resonate. Like, I understood I'd fit in there, but you have to understand when you're locked up in that environment, it's like a goldfish bowl. Yeah. So you don't really understand about what fitness is. You Like the prison officers used to think, because a lot of the prison officers that worked in there were like ex-military. And a, a, a fair few of them used to think I used to be in the army. Like, because the way I was in prison, like, I was very, like, the way I kept my cell clean and the way I used to train obsessively. And then, yeah, they, they, a lot of them thought I was sort of, and that sort of, yeah, it put a seed in my mind. Like, I used to think to myself, well, maybe, maybe I'm really quite fit. And then, um, I, and then as I was progressing through my prison sentence, I got transferred out of this maximum security prison to a category B prison. And then when I got moved there, again, I was just biding my time to get back out onto the street. And I, I was, at that point, I'd already served four years. Um, and then when I got moved to a lower security prison, I basically found out one night that one of my best friends had died committing a robbery in the Netherlands um, that I grew up with from a kid. And, and, I, and I thought the world of him, like he was like my brother. And it was the first time in my life, one, someone I really deeply cared about had died. And secondly, he died in a set of circumstances that I could relate to. And then... I realised that he completely wasted his life. And that might sound stupid to you and viewers, but mm. at, at that moment in time, I didn't actually see my life was being destructive. And then I actually come to the realisation of the amount of damage I've inflicted on people's lives and my, my family's life. And, and I looked at myself and all I had to show for all those lost years. And at, at that point, like I was four and a bit years into this sentence, I'd done two and a half before. So I was looking at spending a decade of my life as a human being locked in a cage mm. for greed, just just a destructive disgusting thing that I was involved with and and it took the death of my friend to completely like open my eyes to my life like I, I thought I've not done anything with my life at all positive I'm not I've never given anything back all I've done is taken and I, I've just not added anything into the world and, and I realized the amount of years of my life that I'd wasted the amount of years that I still had to go to, to completely waste in, in prison and then um, I was kind of like exercise took on a little bit of a different meaning because what I started doing then I started going down to the gym and it wasn't to actually for the thought the, the, the thought of escaping prison it was escaping prisoners because I didn't want to listen to the crap anymore that when they're coming out about violence and when they get out they're going to do this and that like I I made a decision that night when my mate died that I would never commit a crime in my life again like I knew that I would do something different in my life and at that moment I did not know what that would be but I knew it would I would not engage in criminal activity again. And then when I when I was going down to the gym, there was a guy in the gym one day and he was doing um, sort of a million meters on the rowing machine. And I used to see him in the gym every time I went down there. Normally in prison, you're only limited to a certain amount of gym sessions per week, which is normally free. And then when I saw him, I went up to him and I said, how come you get gym every day? And he said, oh, because I'm doing this million meters for charity. So I went to the prison gym staff and I said, look, could I do this million meters? And they said, well, yeah, you have to raise some money. So I got this sponsorship for him. I went back up on the wing and I said to the guys on the wing, can you sponsor me? And obviously people in prison haven't really got that much money because they're earning money from like cleaning the wing and stuff. So they only get like five or a week or six quid a week. So they was like sponsoring me 50 pences a pound. 
So I went back, handed in the sponsorship form. He gave me a special note. He said, right, you can come down the gym as much as you want to row. So I went, all right. So he got this note, and then I went down the gym seven days a week, and I pumped out the first million in a month. And then I thought, God, I've, I've done it too quick because I, I, I just wanted because it was getting me <laughs> off the, the wing. Gym. Yeah, it, it, it got me off the wing and it, it just got me away. I didn't want to be around prisoners. And then for that two hours a day, all I did was look at that monitor. I could have been anywhere in the world, anywhere. And I used to look at that monitor on that rowing machine and it would just completely take me out of prison. It would take me out of prison. It would take me away from prisoners. And I would just home in on them numbers on that rowing machine. And up again... I did not have any idea whatsoever about functional threshold power, wattage, nothing. Heart rate zones, I didn't have a heart rate monitor in prison. I did not know nothing. I just used to get on the machine and literally pull it towards me, like the, the handle. And then I went back down in the next month, did another million, then I did another million. And then someone said to me, you do know if you row five million metres, that's equivalent to rowing the Atlantic. And I thought, oh, that's quite cool. <laughs> so I went back to the prison officer. I said, can I do the extra two million? And he said to me, yes. And I went, obviously, because it's the equivalent of the Atlantic. So he said, yeah, go on, you can do it. And then as I was getting to the tail end of this sort of, um, this, this second million metres to finish off the five, there was a prison officer by the name of Darren Davis. And he was walking past me one day as I just finished 10 pound on a round machine. And he looked over my shoulder and he went to me, wow, I went, that is, that is really, really fast, really fast. And I, again, I didn't have any comprehension of how quick it was because mm. I had nothing to put myself up. I only mm. knew in prison I was a lot quicker than everyone else. And then a couple of days later, he come back with all these bits of paper and he gave them to me. And they was all the records on the round machine for the British, Irish and world records that you could set on a concept to a round machine. And I looked at them and I was like, they can't be real because they didn't look that good. <laughs> and it was, and, 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 I, and, and I, it's mad now when I look back, but they, but I, was, I said to him, I can beat some of these now. And he was like, really? And I said, yeah, I can beat that one and that one. And then he went away to Concept 2 that ran the rowing machine company. He explained the situation so that this guy's in prison. I'm a prison officer. Can, can he do some of these records? And they was basically said, yes, he can. You've got to validate them. You've got to sit behind him. You've got to get someone else to go, so two independent witnesses. You've got to weigh him at the end because I was lightweight. Um, and then you got they, I had to get a special little like, card that you plugged into the Concept 2 rowing machine, which stored all the data. And you posted that off to him with a photograph of the monitor, all the details of my weight. And then within sort of 15 months, I'd set nearly every British record um, on the on the Concept 2 round machine in this country. And I'd set three world records for the, the longer stuff, like the much longer endurance running yep. on the on the round machine. And then basically, when I realised I was good at something, it literally, I knew then that I could use sport as sort of the vehicle and I could use my body to basically get me out of crime. And then, mate, I'm not joking. I used to go down that library. You used to get one library a week. And I used to go down on a Friday, and there was a little old lady that was a librarian, and I used to drive her mad. I'd, <laughs> I'd get every book I could get on sports nutrition, on on training, or anything I could get to, to give me the knowledge to keep getting faster and better. And then, like, this, this prison officer, Darren, he started opening up, because I know... You, this might sound absolutely bizarre to you guys, but I didn't really even know Lance Armstrong was until I was like 25, 26, because he had mm. no relevance in my life. Mm. Um, people like I, Olympic rowers, because obviously with the rowing, like, I didn't know Sir Steve Redgrave, Matthew Pinson, James Cracknell. Like, these people, didn't know, I didn't know who these were. But then when I started, when Darren would bring me in books, he brought me in quite a lot of Lance Armstrong's books, and I started reading these books, 
I started realising I had some sort of like some similar characteristics as a lot of these sort of like top sportsmen, mm. like the drive, the focus, the wanting to be successful. And I realised that all these things that were very negative to me in crime were now that I could turn these around and they could be massive attributes to helping me be successful in sport. And they were because like Lance Armstrong's book massively motivated me, inspired me when I was in prison. Like, because it, it was that suffering and, and the, the endurance and, and the winning and, and all these sort of things that I've always felt since I was a kid. There was other people doing these things, but they were doing it in sport and they were being very successful at it. And then that's kind of where Ironman come onto my radar. And all these different sports like I didn't know nothing about, I started learning about them. And then I watched Ironman when I was in prison. It was on, there's a program over it called Trans World Sport. And it's on Channel Four, and that's where like I watched Kona in prison, like in and 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 I was looking at like these amazing men running these amazingly quick um, marathons, and and I and they looked superhuman, and I was like, wow! And and it, it was always on my radar to do an Ironman one day when I got out of prison. I just didn't expect it to obviously be as quick as it was when I got out. Um, what's but yeah, it, like it what's was. It, it, um, in terms of prison life, you know, I think for. for for us, you know, people have had no association with it at all. You know, you obviously talked about it being 23 hours of locked up, but but does you know, what we see on TV and stuff is that even remotely what it's actually like in prison, or is it just um, yeah? What, what when, is it actually like in there? I the, very violent, very violent. Were you um, a violent person? I, like you know, you see that no, I no, a desire for crime, but you know, there's a violence yeah, no, that comes no. with it. Yeah, yeah, there is, there is, but I, I, no, I wasn't. There's a, there's a big difference. Like, when, when you're in prison and you're in, so especially when you're in very high security prisons, like, one, there's a lot of paranoia because you've got a lot of mentally ill men locked up and mentally ill, very dangerous men locked up, like a lot of psychopaths, um, guys that are in there for multiple murder, like real sort of, but not, not criminal minded mentally sick yeah. like they they yeah. don't they've got abnormalities of the mind like they're not they're not sound sound thinking people and like you tend to find quite a lot of the violence you see in prison is actually in the gym because it's it's the only time where like maybe different wings get to mix together at the same time so you people have got arguments in other prisons like other parts of the prison they come to the gym and then you get a lot of like violence like I've been on rowing machines before where the guy on the rowing machine next to me has got a knife concealed in his back, like near his backside and stuff. Like, it's very, very violent. Um, it isn't how, see, sometimes people think in prisons in this country, like, it's very cushy and it's, people got TVs and this, that. But the reason they get them things is because if you basically lock men up for that period of time and they haven't got anything to do, they will, they will cause trouble. Like, that, that's, it's like a carrot and a stick. So they think the more incentives they give them, the, the, even like the little things like giving them a TV, the, the reduction in violence in prison, having a TV is like 50% mm. because they've got something that they don't want to lose. And because of that, it, it contains the sort of the more dangerous people a little bit more because if, you, mm. if they didn't have that, they would have kind of been, um, yeah, you, you, you'd, it would just be, it'd be worse than it already is. But yeah, it's not, um, it's a very paranoid environment it's a very it's a very negative environment um very dangerous environment as i said you've got lots of dangerous violent men locked up together in very close proximity when you when you went to that place where you know there's this epiphany of you started to see empathy in your world you started to see possibility in your world but you're still trapped in this world where you know paranoia fear your violence were you fearful of damaging the opportunity that you saw the future could bring um, 
Yeah, yeah, I've, I've had this thing before. Like, it's, when you're in that environment, the only way I could probably ever explain it is if you if you put like a, a someone that wanted to get off drugs and you made them live in a drug. Yeah, sort of yeah, yeah, yeah. And the and this is a, this and this is not an exaggeration. Sport and rowing in prison, it got me out of there. Like it 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 allowed me that two two and a half hours a day where I was on that rowing machine to completely switch off from everything that was around me in that place. And people left me alone. People just completely left me alone. Like, no one come up to me and spoke to me. Um, I'd go down, the, like, I'd, I'd wake up in the morning, I'd go down the gym at nine o'clock, I'd row from nine till 12. And then as the months progressed, I ended up getting a job in the gym and I'd go back down the gym in the afternoon, and I'd clean the gym and I'd go back and I'd go to bed at night. And that was my life. Like I, I, I detached myself as much as I could. I detached myself one from my family when I was in prison. I detached myself from anyone that was involved in crime outside that I was I was still engaged with whilst I was in prison. And then when I was in prison, as hard as it is, you do sometimes get some sort of positivity. There are some positive people, but the biggest positive thing in prison was when, when I was working in the gym and I was doing these records and stuff, the prison officer that spotted what I was doing, Darren, I would go down the gym and when I'd clean the gym in the afternoon, like I'd go and sit with him for two or three hours and, and he was... He's done amazing things. Like he's been to the Watkins Mountains in Greenland. He's done like ultra endurance cycling. So he had that mindset of an endurance athlete. So he was like, when I was hungry for all this knowledge about elect sports drinks and what this, why that done that and what proteins were and, and all these sort of things, like anything to do with sports nutrition. And he, he was very knowledgeable on it. So then I would go down and I'd be like a sponge. And, I would, and it was the first time I'd ever really interacted with prison staff because up until that point, I was very hostile towards them. Mm. So then I started building up a relationship with a prison officer where he was an integral part of sort of the, the, the road that I was going down, not just because he was allowing me to do these records and getting permission for me to do them, but he was also adding so much positive energy into my life. And, and I can remember, um, honestly, Bevan, I, when I did one of the records, I was dead. Like, it was... It was um, it was the most amount of distance road in 24 hours. Wow. And when I finished, I rode 263,000 meters, which was about 160 something miles in 24 hours. And I, and it was the first time in my life I'd ever pushed my body that hard for that long. It was complete unknown to me because I've never done any sort of like long endurance sport before. And when I was on the mat, the gym mat at the end of the session, obviously the people, we had some pictures taken and stuff and, and then the gym kind of cleared out with all the prisoners that were coming to congratulate me at the end. And Darren was with me. And I never, ever, and even to today, it resonates with me so much where he said, he went, you have got a gift. He went, not that, just not that you're fit, but you have the ability to be able to suffer. And he went, and those two things combined together are such a powerful thing in sport. And he went, if you come out of prison and you waste that gift, that will be the biggest travesty I've ever seen as a prison officer. Wow. Even because you know you're talented <clears> at something. And then when he said that to me, even though I knew I was on that path, I was absolutely determined when I come out to make something of myself in sport. Absolutely determined to do it. When you come out, and, uh, you know, because one thing that's really hard for prisoners is they come out and they've kind of got nothing and and they go to what they know. You know, you have a life, that, your past life, but it's also as you, your life was obviously a criminal life. So what was the strategy to make sure you didn't step back? Like it sounded like you were pretty determined and you were shifted as a person, but also yeah. how did you make sure that you didn't just kind of go back to what you knew? So, like I said, when I was in prison and, and my mate died that night, I was a little bit lost for a couple of weeks and I didn't know what I wanted to do in my life, but I knew I wanted to do something different. 
And then when the sport come along and the rowing and, and everything like that, like I said, I made a disconnection whilst I was in prison okay. from all my criminal associates outside of prison. So when I got released, I got released on a on a Friday, and and I'm not I'm not exaggerating with you. When I come out, nine out of ten of my friends were criminals. Like they was involved in some element of crime. It might have been really severe to not as severe, but they were still involved in crime. And I knew for myself. I didn't want to be involved in that world anymore. And, and, and you can't opt in and opt out. So it's not like me saying, coming out saying, I'm not going to commit a crime again, but I'm still going to associate with criminals. Like I thought, if I come out, it's that's it. I'm done with that world. I'm making a clean break, done. I got released on a Friday, and on the Saturday morning, I come and joined London Rowing Club, which was a high-performance rowing club for lightweight men. Mm. And I didn't realise when I joined that place, I thought I was joining because of a sport. And I thought... I thought the transition from a rowing machine onto the water would be quite easy. Um, and, I, and I come and join this club. And then I didn't realise overnight my social circle had completely done a 360. Like, it got to the point where I was going out rowing in boats in the morning with guys that were barristers, that were in the Metropolitan Police, mm. that were people that went to the university, people that went, like, all different, just different spectrums of society, all a part of this club. But my social circle just completely changed. And, and, then, and and I was training with guys that went to the Olympic Games and won medals at the Olympics. Like it was like a dream. I, I can remember like I'd gone. I li- I'm honest. I'm not exaggerating with you. Like I'd gone from one week. I can remember this. Like w- one week I was in prison, like in an open prison. Got released, and then on the following Thursday night, I'm training in the in the rowing club, like the gym on on the rowing machines. And I've got like uh, a woman next to me, Sophie Hoskins, and she won a gold at um, London 2012. Uh-huh. And then like, I'm sitting next to her, and I'm thinking, I watched you on the telly, like. It was, it was so surreal. It was just so surreal. And, and all these people, like, they kept me on the path because I realised the more I trained with them, the more how similar I was to them. Like, the sort of having the really high expectations and having the drive and the focus. And actually, not these people weren't just books. They were actually real, real people that I could engage around. And then they was inviting me around for dinners and we would go out socialising with each other. And, and, and they just completely, like, they, they, they completely changed my life. And, and, and when I when I was around these people, again, it reinforced to me even more. I was on the right path in life. And it made me it made me see how negative the sort of people I was around the years before. When I was around all these highly successful people that were very positive and give mm. things back in life, I realised then the sort of how bad my life actually was years ago. Mm. What, what was it? What about um, just general life? You know, you say you've got this new social circle. You've got somewhere you can go and do your outlet for training. But what about actually surviving in terms of dollars and cents, and actually having somewhere to live and things like that? What's the setup when you do come straight out of prison? So, so when I got when I got originally got for when I got out originally, um, I I quite I got so when I obviously when I realised it was good on the round machine in prison, sport it really played a big part. So then. The prison used to offer like um, qualifications in personal training, so I started. I signed up and I become like a level three personal trainer in prison. I did my level two and then my level three, which like basically in this country is like you're qualified PT. Yeah. And then so I got that skill set when I was in there, and then obviously it also helped where I was started to be quite good at sports. So I, I was even more knowledgeable because I started studying that for myself as well. So then when I come out, um, originally I was working for a friend of mine to give me a job, but he worked. He had a consultancy firm in London. And me and him were growing up as kids, but he went down the right path in life. And he was kind of doing me a bit of a favour. But I'm not built for an office. like. And when I was in an office environment, it just wasn't me. Like I was, I was rowing still, 
but I, I just wasn't comfortable there. Like it wasn't something I knew. I didn't want to do that in my life, and sport was the thing I wanted to do. So I um I basically went off and I started doing freelance personal training work, um and just and basically training people and and also like when I when I originally first got released, I had to reside at um my mum's house because. I, it was like it was basically either I live I had to go back and live with my mum, which was a very alien thing to do, or go to a hostel. So they basically said you either go to a hostel or you live at your mum's. And I was like, all right, um, it's a tight balancing thing, but I think I live with my mum. <laughs> so I had to go back to my mum's, and basically she used to just drive me mad when I first come out, like mothering me. Like she didn't realise that I'd been in prison for like basically near on ten years. So she'd come out and she'd just be obviously she's a mum, isn't she? She didn't have me in her life for so many years, so she's. She's just acting like a mum would act, um, yeah. But and and basically, yeah, I, I started doing that, and that would just facilitate me living to that day to day, basically. Mm. And um, what are, what are some of the things that you've sort of <clears throat> learned from your experiences in prison that maybe some listeners can sort of transfer into their own performance in terms of, you know, whether it be your discipline or, or what have you sort of what, what do you think makes you so good at what you're doing now that you look at other athletes and going, geez, why don't you do this, this, and this, and, and maybe you might be a little bit better? Um, if I, I, I personally think belief in yourself is the biggest, biggest fundamental thing any person can have. Because if you don't believe in yourself, no one is ever going to believe in you as much as you believe in yourself. Like You have to be- absolutely feel it. And, and, and when I was in prison... I've I had belief and I, I know even to today like I know I can get a lot quicker at doing Ironman I, I know that within myself and I, I, it's not me being arrogant I, don't, I think there's a fine line sometimes but I just think you've got to back yourself and you've got to have confidence in yourself that you can do stuff um, and not to always have that reassurance from other people because when I was in prison people doubted me All, over and over again prison officers prisoners people said I would foul um, they when I, when I got released from prison, I was given an eighty-eight percent chance of reoffending. Like they, they, it was like you set up to fail from the beginning. But I backed myself, and I think in life you've got to you've got to have that self-belief in yourself, and you've got to say, do you know what, I can do this. Like I, I have the capabilities to do this. I possess them. Um, and I, I've always looked to any athlete or any person in the world, and I look at them as an equal. I don't ever see anyone more superior than me. I, I think everyone's got two arms, two legs, a heart, set of lungs ears and eyes and I think the only distinguishing thing between everyone is what goes on in your brain and the reason why some people get to the level they get to is because they've maybe applied themselves at a younger age like since I've been doing Ironman I look at a lot of sort of top level age groupers and when I first come out I was determined like I thought I know I can physically be there like I know I can be that good but it's obviously it's a game of patience and it's about closing those gaps and it takes years and and, and I've I've learned that over the course of and and I've learned through trial and error. But again, you can't be frightened to foul even like I fouled miserably at doing stuff with Iron Man. But then it's all. But I've learned from those failures and and keep moving forward all the time. But I see everyone as an equal. Like and I I feel like it's just it's about applying yourself into something and and having that drive and having that focus and knowing where you're going, believing in yourself, back yourself. And just think everyone's an equal and you you can catch people up and you in, in the context of like out the years of training they've had over you like but it just takes a bit of time and a bit of patience and you can slowly get there and fingers crossed like as long as I don't get injured I know I can keep progressing forward and, and, and that's something like I don't really care about how quick I go I just want to be as quick as I can go if you know what I mean like yeah. when I race a race 
Like when I when I did Ironman Frankfurt, I couldn't have told you at any part of that race how fast I was because I genuinely didn't care. Like to me, it was like it is what it is. Like I would go as fast as my body. I won't cap myself by saying I want to run a three fifteen marathon off the bike. I will run, um, and I, I wanted to run under three hours for the marathon, but I won't sort of. I allow it just to happen, if you know what I mean. Like, I won't try to force it or anything because I just have that belief that I know I can suffer. I know I've got the fitness. And it's just about applying it and pull it into the race. So tell us a bit about your book, your Redemption from Iron Bars to Iron Man. Tell us, um, you know, what people can expect in the book, um, and 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 probably what you what you're trying to achieve as well. So um, it's basically like the book's basically it charts my life from quite a young kid, the way, the reasons, the way I did got involved in crime, the decisions, the very poor decisions that I made along the way. Um, it's not a retrospective book, so it's written in the moment. Um, of my decision-making and, and the influences and the things that drew, drove me into doing what I did. Then it was basically the transformation when I was in prison and the environment I was living in, but then the, the transformation I was in there to becoming the person that I've become today. Um, and, and if I'm honest, like with the book, and, and, I, and I know sometimes publishers might not like this, I chose to do the book, and the, the main reason I chose to do the book was when I first come out of prison, I was very nervous about how people received me because no one really knew anything about my past. Mm-hmm. But everyone knew me as John. And I was part of this <laughs> rowing club and I was part of this sporting community. And I and then when I stopped rowing, I started doing triathlon. I was training with all these triathletes and no one knew nothing about my past. And I was always worried that people wouldn't accept me. Like people would turn around and say, oh, he's a scumbag. He spent all these years in prison. He's horrible. He's this, he's that. But when people spent time with me, people knew me as John. They didn't know me from part my what I was years ago. And then it slowly started filtering out um, about my past. And then I wrote a blog. And then when I wrote that blog, the response it received was the most humbling thing I've ever experienced in my life. Like, I couldn't believe the amount of people that read it and commented and sent me messages and said, it's unbelievable. I can't believe you're that person. Like, it just doesn't seem like that's you. And then what started happening, I, as time got bigger and that blog and I did some media stuff and my story started getting more and more out there. I started realizing that impact my story was having on like kids, um, mm. like kids messaging me and, and turning around saying I inspired them and and that, that they and, and not just children but young adults and, and even adults like people saying they couldn't believe what I'd done and, and how, how it was like it made them see their lives differently. And then I was offered the opportunity last end of last year to write an autobiography and it was a very hard decision for me to make because. It's really putting yourself out there. It's like you're, you're leaving yourself wide open, like, because you're going to get the people that say it's the best thing I've ever read. Then you're going to get other people that will read about my past and it would give them more ammunition to shoot me down and say he doesn't deserve this or that. Um, but I knew that book will give me a key and a platform to do good with my life. And, and, that, and, and that has already started to happen because I know the doors that that book will allow me to open because people will attach themselves and like big foundations have got in contact with me to be an ambassador to work with young offenders i did a talk today to some kids that have been excluded out the education system for harlequins rugby club in london um some other big like charities have asked me to go and give talks to kids and that is my drive i don't care how many copies of that book sell i generally don't i don't care anything to do with that where it is in the amazon book chart my goal and my drive every day if i can stop one kid one child going down the road that I went down thinking that is the right path to go down and show them 
that there's other things they can do with their lives and not just waste it sitting in the prison cell. Because if I've managed to do what I've done at 26, 27 years old, what can these kids do at 12, 13, 14 years old? Like, it's, they're limitless to what they can do. And if I can honestly start one kid doing that, and that book will allow me to be able to do that, because that book will allow me to reach out to thousands and thousands and thousands of children. That It will. And I know I'm not stupid. Like, you might not be able to change all their mindsets, but it might, you might take one kid in an audience and a thousand to turn around and say, well, do you know what? That guy's done that. What can I do? And not do what I've done. And, and that's the biggest motivator yeah. for the book. Excellent. Oh, no, it's a fantastic story, oh, and, God, yeah. um, and I'm looking forward to having read the book, so I'm looking forward to, to having a good old read-through. Um, and I love um, biographies, and yeah, your story sounds wicked, and um, very impressed with... And it's uh, really cool you that you want to use, use your story to help others, you know, that's what it's all about. So guys, we'll have some, links, we'll have some links through to, to John's website, um, therealmacavoy.com, and also some links to where people can get the book, and... Um, Good luck with your triathlon journey. It's been nine nine hours and ten minutes at uh, Frankfurt, uh, so that sub nine hour, I guess, is uh, is on the on the horizons. Yeah, yeah. Next year, I'm going back to Ironman Frankfurt next year. But I would have, um, yeah, I'm gonna again. I'm I'm not too sort of focused on the time. I just want the position. I just want to win one of those age groups. But I just want to win one. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what's harder: being a millionaire or winning one of those like, age groups. I think probably the age group's harder nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it might, but I couldn't believe it. Because like, when I did Ironman Frankfurt this year, just gone, the year before, the winning time was 9.12. Yeah? I didn't realise. So when I crossed the finish line, I looked up, I saw 9.10, I thought, oh, I must have, I've at least got third place. And then when I, when I found out, I ended up finishing 10th in my age group. I was like, how could I have been 10th? <laughs> I just... They're just, yeah, it's just, it was, um, yeah, there's yeah. some of them are on another page, aren't they? They're just on another yeah, page. Exactly. You'll get the I'm old from sure I'm get coming there. from them. Fantastic. Oh, that's awesome. Thanks so much for your time, John. Yeah, you're a Thank you very much, John. Take care, Bevan. Thanks, mate. That's it. That's it. Really. Like, some of the things, like, we would kind of, we didn't really go into details of how deep he was kind of in the prison system. Like he was basically locked up with some of the London underground bombers. Like mm. he was, he was kind of the worst of the worst. Mm. What a what a wicked story. Yeah, I'd be really interested to read his book because that'll go into a lot more detail yeah. about what those people are, are like and just uh, what life is behind bars. And yeah, oh, I've, just, I've never even been remotely close to being in a prison other than obviously walking around Alcatraz. But I just. I just can't comprehend what it'll be like. No, you can't really, eh? And, and like that whole idea of being so fearful all the time and paranoid because mm. of the people you're surrounded by. What a life. Mm. You know, and, and what's really great is he just, you, you can see the energy of the guy and the passion of the guy and uh, the fact that he, it's, you know, and these are things like the environment you're in. You know, Harry went to that rowing club and, you know, suddenly he was of a higher level person and, and he had kind of a positive attitude and that helped him in his process. So, Awesome, guys. I'll put a link to his book on www.iamtalk.me, and it's all pretty simple from there. Got Jombo, sponsor. Athlinks.com. Yes. So we're obviously a few weeks down the down the path from, from Kona, and uh, there was one other question we'd, I didn't ask John about, but he's never going to be able to do Kona. Because he can't go to America. Yeah, because you got, if you've got a criminal record, you can't go to, to Kona. Oh, really? Mm. Well, you can't go to, go to America. Um, maybe there's ways you can get around it, but be surprised so but you can travel in the eu can you because you're a part of the european union so well, I wonder what you are at the Brexit. moment <laughs> yeah but i wonder what happens with Brexit in those yeah. situations not quite sure yeah now we're getting politics john the american elections on tomorrow do you want to, do you want to go down that path <laughs> no, no i'm just so can't wait for that to be over i've got 
I wouldn't say I've got zero interest, but... Do you think Donald Trump and, and Hillary Clinton have athletes profiles? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they should do. So I brought that back to the head. Yeah. I got it off and brought you back to the head. So we had obviously had Hawaii recently, and our first athletes finisher in Hawaii was a guy that we interviewed, actually. Uh, I interviewed post-race, Nathan Shearer from... Brunswick East Victoria Australia he went 8.58.44 was one of those few sub 9 hour athletes uh, our second athletics finisher over there was Edward Schmidt in 9.13 he was 7th in the 30-34 and our third place athletics finisher was Christopher Lemery from Paris and he was 92nd so to crack the top 100 he went 9.19 Hundredth place over there is nine twenty one, pretty decent, isn't it? Nine twenty one. Nine twenty one to get in the top one hundred. And uh, New Zealand, they'd get you probably top twenty, wouldn't it? Oh yeah, jeez, yeah. 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 So very impressive. But the cool thing is, then you can actually go in here. And so if we say uh, Christopher Lemery, he went. He was in the forty five to forty nine. Got on the podium, third place, nine nineteen fifteen. And uh, we can go and check out, you know, what he's done elsewhere in the world. Well, also what you can do, John, which I, I like a lot. <clears throat> as you can do some stats and so what's really interesting if you go to the stats page they've got the average time for a male in Kona is 11 hours and 9 minutes mm -hmm. the 1548 males raced in Kona and the females the average time how, have you looked at the stats yet Dave, you don't if you have no okay so <clears throat> if the average time of the male is 11.09 what do you think the average time of the female would be uh, there are less 12.15 pretty good actually 12.09 mm. So it's only our difference. Yeah, and our standard. Yeah, but I thought We're, average. I, I would, thought on the average it would have been a little bit longer. Mm -hmm. We would have been able to have a really interesting discussion about this next week, but somebody vetoed my uh, topic. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> anyway, yes, it is interesting. But what's really interesting is if, when we look at yearly participation, what happened in 1997? There, there must be problems with the stats. Because basically, if we look back to, it goes back to 1994, we had 1,200 athletes competing. And it's basically in a slow trajectory up. But now, so this year, we had 2,200. Last year, 2,100. Year before that, 1,900. Year before that, 1,900, 1,800, 1,700. So basically, every year for the last, so if we go back to 2006, we had 1,600. So this mm. year, we had an extra 600 athletes on the course. Mm. It's a lot. Yeah, that, that that shows one of the reasons this drafting's a problem, isn't it? Mm. They're, they're trying to get more and more athletes on the course, so pretty fascinating. Um, so Christopher Lemery, who was our podium place-getter that I was just discussing there, got third place uh, with 9.19. Earlier in the year, he qualified with a 9.15 in Ironman Europe, and the previous year in Kona, he went 9.35, so a big step up. Uh, and 9.24 in Europe the year before. So uh, he's also got a 33, 38, 10K time. That's pretty bloody fast. Yeah. That's impressive. So, yeah. 30 what? 33, 38. Let's see if I can... No, I can't. I can, I can go. There. That's the thing. I can scroll, I can I can go through all his different distances um, and hone in. So if you want to get to Kona, you want to get on the podium, go check out Athlinks and go and see what the dudes are getting on the podium in your age group are doing, and that's going to set the bar that you need to reach. Check it out, athlinks.com. Oh, yeah. Check out the stats on the races. It's really cool. Okay, athlinks.com team. If you aren't on there, get on there. Questions and, and answers. answers. Now, how many of these do you want to do? Uh, no, just anything you want to tack on because that's a whole – we've got – we want to go stuff, yeah. We want to go through um, some ideas around Kona because, I'm Bevan, I'm a dog with a bone on this one. I'm not letting go. With, the, with this, a bone. The draft, age group drafting in Kona like has got – 
to a state that I'm not happy about and I want to try to... And we had a really good article. It wasn't by Soto, but on his website, trysoto.com, um, about the age group racing and how, how basically, and we'll talk about this in detail next week, but basically how you kind of called a dirty cheat now if you drive, but actually it's unfair to be in that position. The photos are just damning it. And, and, and I think it got significantly worse from the year before. Because when I was there, I was saying, I was in a pack. And You're a faster swimmer. Yeah, I know. And it was really bad. But man, some of those pictures that I've seen when it's four abreast, it's just, it's beyond a joke. And I'm taking a stand. John is this dog with a bone. So we'll go into this a bit more next week. Just want to say, do we want to talk about bone crushes? Or do you want to say? Oh, he just got about the infusion. He just said he was at the. Oh, yes, yes. He was at, what race was it? 70.3? He was 70.3 Arizona. And he's saying, I was in the booth next to the infusion booth. Uh, during Friday afternoon, the expo, I saw no one stop at their table. <laughs> the whole table tent did not give off a vibe that you'd want to be putting a needle in your arm. So obviously, maybe they weren't that sharp as a business. Um, Saturday, the booth was empty with no literature display or anything there. I did not cruise through the expo to see if they had moved. That is a possibility. I heard and saw nothing about them on the Sunday, even though temperatures during the run had around 33 degrees or 92 degrees Fahrenheit. So, um, yeah, obviously they, they made an appearance and disappeared pretty quickly. Just got to say, John, yes. I was at the gym yesterday morning teaching my, my RPM class. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a guy in my room who I'd never, never seen before because you, you kind of get the same people every time. Mm-hmm. You kind of get to know who's not there. And he was a bit of a hard ass. Because when you get someone new, you kind of think, do they need help? And I and uh, and are they going to be all right in the workout? And this guy was head down, kicking his yeah. arm. He was destroying yeah. himself. Yeah. And after the class, he came up and said, hey, I'm Gary. I'm from Wellington. And I'm a big, big fan of the show. Oh, nice. Been listening for years. He's the guy who asked us about the stats on Abel Tasman. And you sent him through the stats on the Abel Tasman oh, run. Yes. Yep. And he did the Abel Tasman run recently. And he enjoyed that run. And he's uh, just a big follower of the show. And Great. Bit of a young man himself. He's into IT. loves his necks. He wouldn't be Good. happy with that computer. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody would be happy with this computer except no. my kids. I've got, I've, we've instigated, I've instigated a bit of a computer ban at the house. It's too much te- technology for the kids. Oh. We're allowed it at the weekends and allowed it for homework, but that's it. You know what happens? You start lying now. They, the lying starts. <laughs> they're going to find ways to make it work. Yeah. You've got to turn your internet off. That's the only thing you do with right. Tyler. Because what, what I found is when, she, when, when we started, she got to the age, she's a little bit older than this, your yeah. kids now. How old are your kids? Seven and nine. Yes, yeah, so it's a little bit different, but... Around about th- once they get on that social media mm. and bedtime comes along and you go, okay, give me a phone and all this, suddenly there's a new phone that she'd found oh, or something, right. like they find a way. And so the only way I could make it work was when I went to bed, I turned the internet off. Right. <laughs> it got to the point where I had the router in my bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> like that was the only way it made it work. <laughs> so anyway, but Gary, he was just a real big fan of the show and it was nice to meet Gary the other day. So nice to meet Gary. Fantastic. John R. Sponsors. Athlinks.com. Social networking for endurance athletes. And extreme endurance. Your lactic buffer. And for our patrons, if you patrons haven't sent through any pictures, we, we love all you patrons and the way that you support the show. It keeps us motivated um, to keep doing it. It helps us obviously cover some of the costs that we incur through producing the show. Um, but make sure you send, send us a picture. And um, on the new website, which we're going to have out hopefully in the next month or so. No, it should be next week or so, next a couple of weeks. Week or so. Depends if we get these videos done. Are you uh, going to be able to get them done this morning? Oh, I haven't got my own talk here. Oh, for God's sake, you had one job. <laughs> <laughs> and um, make sure you send through pictures and, uh, and and we've got them on the existing site as well and you can click on the image and it just tells you a little bit about the different patrons and we will, uh, it's going to be upgraded to look even more fancy on the new website so if you haven't sent through your pictures yet do so and we love your support of the show yeah and if you aren't a patron you know where to go www.imtalk.me and uh, yeah we just really appreciate the support John what you got 
What's my goss? Um, so what? You're, why you're not going to race on Saturday? John, that's a tradition. You normally get I've your got, Barker suit out. I know, but I've got an exam on Tuesday, and I'm like, oh, it's a big day. Oh, come on, John. And, uh, is it Belinda gun? No, no. Oh, she doesn't get to go if you're not we, going. Long range weather forecast is not looking promising either. So we never thinking, trust the long range. And they've changed the rules this year around all the alcohol and all that stuff. Yeah, it's it's quite us like It doesn't help, does it? it? Does not help. So there's, there's, there's a bit of a perfect storm going. That's just not for us this year. So are you like a gamble as well? Are you going to gamble? I was very fortunate this week. That, so I, I have a TAB um, app oh, on my phone, yeah. <laughs> but I haven't used it since last year's races. Okay. And so Melbourne Cup's on last week, the race that stops the nation. Stops the nation. And uh, Belinda said, right, let's get a bet on this. was like 15 minutes before the race. And the kids wanted to, they picked a horse and I picked, I, have my, I said, oh, I'm going three and 12 because yep. that's what I do. The perfect and Belinda strategy. had a horse as well. And we're logging on, it's not doing it. We're trying to log on to the website, it's not doing it. And the countdown's like one minute to the race. And I'm like, get this bet on, get this bet on. And it just didn't work because my account had sort of. Well, you got, the, the problem with, because I opened it, because we've got a friend who owns a horse in Australia. And I don't really. They made some money. It's like one of the top three horses in its category. Mm -hmm. So they made some money off this horse. I don't know right. And uh, but so all the all of our group, the guys we go camping with, we all kind of bet on the horse. And so we opened a TAB account, but you got to go and verify it. Yeah. You got to go into a store and verify it. Mine was very hard. I just didn't oh, use it for a year. And, and, mm. and so we're trying to put all these bets in, and ended up I don't get any of them. And so we had five horses out of probably. I don't know, was there 20 in the race? Oh, yeah, so I thought surely one of us has at least got to get a place. And you wouldn't have? Luckily, none of them got any of so I saved that money. Do you, do you, go, do you buy the big lotto? Because in New Zealand right now, we've got 44 million, which is big for New Zealand. I know in America they have billion dollar ones, but... I buy probably two or three lotto tickets a year. But one last weekend. And didn't, didn't what about well. tonight? Tomorrow night? No. Because it's 44 million. Oh, okay. Let's ask the question. What would you do if you won 44 million? I'd give you a couple million, Bevan. That's, that's my answer. That's my first answer yep. as well. Yeah, I'd set up the New Zealand Triathlon Academy. And, uh, nice, and, nice. And give and back to the sport. And, uh, what would the Triathlon Academy be? Uh, it would be about talent identification at the moment. In New Zealand, we've got... But isn't it about building enough. talent in New Zealand right now? Cause You've got to identify it first. And then I'd, I'd, I wouldn't copy what the Poms are doing, but I'd... Uh, I'd, I'd take a lot of what they're doing and bring it on board. Yep, okay. And then, um, I don't know, look after the family. I think you'd keep, be right, look after working. the family, you'd fill a million bucks in the I bank. I think I would, yeah. How Bevan? much would you keep? How would work change? Oh, I've got no idea. Bevan, what would you do? You've obviously thought about this. Uh, it'd be, I probably would take a few months off a year mm. and go travel a lot more. Like we travel, but I'd, I'd probably do like four months a year traveling. Mm. Um, and a kind of adventurous kind of crazy stuff mm. um, I would work less but I do love what I do so I wouldn't have too much of a problem with that my business would make bigger impacts faster mm. uh, you know you'd have to give I don't know if I'd give it away straight away but I think mm. what I'd do is I'd do a base investment and then give away as I move along set up a political party yep Bevan's party yeah. <laughs> the party 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 uh, yeah definitely try to make some impact on nutrition the nutrition front trying to That's I, not I, I, money, I don't know sorry it's not enough money if you really want to make a big difference, you need... Yeah, yeah, but you know, whether you can do it locally and... I don't know. That's about as much thought as I've given it because I think the chances of getting it are pretty slim. We don't buy a ticket, but you do have to be in to win, don't you, John? Mm. And uh, yeah, maybe maybe, we'll, maybe I'll buy one. Got it. Give me the numbers. You tell me the numbers. Here we go. Give me six numbers and a bonus. Um, three, 12, 13... Now, no one else is allowed to buy these numbers. 21... 33, is that five? Yep. Uh, and 39. 
bonus, bonus number? number 16. Okay. What's my... No, point? wait, there's only... No, don't you don't you got to get the six and the, oh, the power, power ball? Power ball. Okay, you don't need the bonus ball. number, do you? You just need the... the yeah, so if you don't need the bonus numbers. Power, so it's one in 10, is it? One one, is it? We will go... <laughs> it's got to be one of the numbers up. No, it's a separate number, isn't it? It's we'll between seven. Okay, seven, okay. Now, no one else is allowed to buy those. What do I get if that wins anything? I'll give Put you. it on the show now because this is a legally okay. binding document. Okay, I'll give you 20%. Deal. 20%? That's yeah. pretty fair, isn't it? Yeah. So if I win 40 million bucks, you end up with... Four, you end up for 8 million. All right. That's pretty good. Woohoo! Yep. I'm in. Yep, 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 done. Okay. Good. Righty-o. What, what else is happening in Avagos? No, Bevan, what's happening in your world? Anything exciting? We had a barbecue on Saturday night. Mm-hmm. You know what Joe and I don't have? Um, a really good barbecue? No, I have a pretty good barbecue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Kids. Barbecue too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and when you, when you don't have kids. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we're really lucky because all our friends' kids are great kids. Mm-hmm. And they come around and you just realise how much harder life is. And these are good kids and they looked after themselves, but life is busy when there's kids. Well, yeah, sure yeah. You may know about this, John. So, yeah. yeah. So we don't have kids. So that's, that was kind of fun. Had a barbecue. Stayed up late, stayed up pretty late and get to be midnight, mm-hmm. 12.30, John. Crazy. Crazy, just living at large. Set up some fireworks, you do fireworks. I went up the hill, went to the top of the hill with Thomas and we watched the fireworks out over the city. Oh, did you not see any of yourself? No. Do you know the best part of fireworks? Because nowadays fireworks are a bit crappy, aren't they? Mm. Okay. Oh. You yeah, haven't got pohars or, or bangers, but yeah. And the other thing you don't have is we didn't spend a lot, so mm-hmm. we didn't get it great. But the best part is when you light them in the... In the and you run away from it. Yeah, that's the best part. Nice. The excitement of am I going to get hurt here? So did that. <coughs> Maybe you drummer for the band. Right. That's exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, that's about it, John. Cool. I'm Russ. Oh really? Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks a lot. <laughs> you, you meant to ask inquisitive questions, but hey, uh, uh, I mean don't. Train hard. Train smart. Kick, Kick hard. hard.